Well, good afternoon, EBC. It's good to see you all. Uh, it's been about three weeks uh, since uh, been here, and Andre has so wonderfully led us through the book of Esther. But now we are back in Romans. And with each new section, I preach an overview of that section and the theme that's there. Uh, today, we're looking at Romans 6 through 8. And the theme is obedience. Obedience. It's a parent's dream. Sometimes a nightmare. How we long for our kids to obey. Obedience isn't natural. It's something that must be taught to our children. Taught to ourselves. Obedience is doing what an authority says. Now, in many places, obedience can be demanded by fear. We, we see that in this region often. But it can also be won by love. Consider how easily God could have demanded that we obey. He's the king of the universe. But consider how patiently, through time, God has won obedience for his children or, or through his children by his love. And most powerfully demonstrated by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now Paul began this letter saying that he was an apostle set apart for this gospel. And that he was calling all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. It shouldn't that be our response? Shouldn't obedience, that obedience that comes from faith, be our proper response to God's love? Let me give you a short review of where we are, where we've been in this letter. In Romans 1.17, Paul says that the gospel, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. And then he systematically walks us through this gospel message. In Romans 1, 18 through 20, the theme is sin. And he shows there our need for the gospel. He concludes that section saying there's no one righteous. No, not one. Then in Romans 3, 19 through 521, it's about faith. God freely giving His grace and declaring as righteous those who believe in Jesus' death and resurrection to save them from God's wrath. Now, justified through faith, he says in chapter 5, we, we have peace with God. And we stand now in His grace with the hope that one day, we will walk with him in glory. Now, Paul could have ended the letter right there. Our, our sin problem solved. We've been justified for the day of judgment. Halas, it's finished. We have peace now, and we have a hope for the future. But the question remains. What do we follow until that day comes? Uh, what are we to obey in this time?
time between our present salvation and that future day of judgment that's coming. And that's the point in this section in Romans 6 through 8. What are, what are we to obey now as we wait for the hope of God's glory? What are we to obey now as we wait for the hope of God's glory? And Paul, in this section, will give us three potential options. One, should we obey sin? Chapter 6. Two, should we obey God's law? Chapter 7. And then thirdly, obey God's spirit in chapter 8. Well, but first we need to consider this time in between. And, and what do we... What do, we, what do we do with that? What do we call it? Well, theologians, and this is your first point here, theologians call it the, the already but not yet, or the already and not yet. Jesus said in John 5, 24 to 25, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but he's passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. So for, for, for those who believe, those who trusted in Jesus, we have passed from death to life. It's done. It's past tense. You could say that we are spiritually resurrected right now. It's, it's the already. This has already happened. But we are waiting for a physical resurrection. A physical resurrection. When those who hear the, the voice of God will live. It's a future tense. We're waiting confidently for Christ's return when we will finally be raised to heaven. It's the not yet that we're waiting for. Now, we will enter eternal life then. We can be confident about that because we have eternal life now. Our spiritual resurrection in the present, in the now, makes us certain about that future physical resurrection. It, it's kind of like being engaged already, but not yet married. It, it's like being already guaranteed that citizenship, like our dear friends uh, Yaman and Naveen, but not yet moved to that land. You know, it's, it's the already, but the not yet. Now, even though our future is certain, this time in between can often be full of confusion, right? I mean, how do we live for God in this time between the already and the not yet? Uh, well, in Romans 5, 12 to 21, Paul explained that before believing in Jesus, we had all followed Adam. He was our first uh, and our, our representative human leader. 
But for those who believe, who are spiritually born again, we have a new representative leader. And his name is Jesus Christ. We're spiritually, we who are spiritually alive are following Christ. And yet our minds and our bodies, following Adam by habit, remain alive as well. So following Christ means we are seeking to live a holy life like Christ now. But holiness, it doesn't happen all at once. You know, it's, it's, it's a process. And that process of being made holy is what we call sanctification. And we, need, we must fight for holiness in this time in between. And sometimes we will win. Sometimes... We'll lose. Now, in Scripture, as we you look at Scripture, seeing this already but not yet in the pages of the Bible can sometimes make the Bible feel like a, like a puzzle. Like it's saying different things at the same time. For instance, the Bible says, you are holy. And yet it also says... Be holy. The Bible says you have been saved. And yet it also says you are being saved. Well, church, it's when putting these puzzle pieces together, that's how we live in the in-between time that we are in right now. We trust what the Bible says already about us in Christ. What we are already. And we obey what it says we do because we're not yet complete. Who we are already in Christ and we obey because we're not yet complete. Christian, this is your life. You live in the already but not yet. That's where we are. Now, two problems exist if we you know, lean one way or, or the other. License or legalism? Let me explain that. License is leaning too much into that already. It's it's the temptation to live an impure or, or immoral life because, you know, God's already covered all of our sins, so why bother with holiness? I'm already holy. Don't do that. <laughs> the other side is legalism. Legalism is leaning too much into that not yet. It's the thinking that you, that I, need to achieve holiness on our own. No, church, God's grace in the gospel opposes both those extremes. God's grace is greater than all our sin and and does make us perfect in His presence, before His presence. But the scripture also teaches us to say, and God's grace also teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions in this present age. Now, understanding that that moment that you are justified, you're brought up to God's standard, that in a moment, as you believe in Jesus, you are justified to his holy standard And then that process of sanctification as you're 
continually being made holy, that will keep you from feeling anxious about this gap in between. You are already holy and you are being made holy. So don't be anxious about this. God's grace in the gospel is the foundation of our faith. It's the foundation of Christianity. And it leads us to obedience. But you're not a Christian because you obey all the rules. It's important to remember that. You're a Christian when you receive God's grace in the gospel. Now, perhaps you've not understood or perhaps you've not yet received God's grace in the gospel. Let me take a moment to explain what God's grace in the gospel is and why you need it. You see, the gospel is what God has done to make us right with himself. He has offered himself as a substitute to pay the debt of our sins and to freely grant to us his own righteousness so that we can be justified in that final judgment. You need God's grace because he is holy and you are not. You see, the problem is that you were created in God's image to reflect his glory, to reflect his holiness, but you don't. You're, you're a product of the human sinful nature that has been passed down to us through our, the, the generations from Adam, our, the, first, the first human being. Adam disobeyed God's word, falling short of God's glory, and, and you and I still fall short in our own, in our own efforts. But the consequence... The, the consequence of our disobedience against the eternal and holy God is eternal punishment in his final judgment. It's good and right that he do that. But see, in love, God came in the person of Jesus to rescue sinners. Jesus was the begotten of God, born of a virgin, and so he did not inherit Adam's sin like you and I have. Jesus re-imaged God's glory in the world and he lived a perfect life. The, the perfect life that you and I haven't lived. That Adam never, that he didn't live. And then Jesus died to pay the penalty for sin. For all who would believe in him. That's what he's done. Now believing. Believing means you put the full weight of your trust in this gospel. It's, it's trusting that you have no hope in life or eternity unless Jesus alone. Through faith alone. By God's grace alone. Has saved you. As Paul says in Romans 3 and also in, in chapter 4, with this grace, there's no boasting, only believing. It's nothing that you've done that, that you can say, look what I did. Any attempt, in fact, to earn God's favor is a rejection of his grace. The grace 
requires our humble acceptance. So I want to ask you if, you, if, if you've not received that, will you humbly believe in Christ? Now, believing isn't just knowing the words of this message. It's laying down your sin, your pride, your very life, and trusting Jesus alone can save you before our holy God. So, friend, will you, will you believe in Jesus? Trust Him. Trust Him now. Ask Him to forgive your sins. Ask Him to lead you now. If you do this now or, or later today or later this week, you will receive the already of eternal life and all the blessings that go along with that. Now, if, if you do this, I would just encourage you to, to tell me or tell one of the members of this church so we can help you walk this walk of sanctification. It's not an easy path. We... we God calls us to do that together. All right, well, Paul ends chapter 5 by saying, where sin has increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, grace covers our sin, no matter how great that sin might be, so that we can stand now already justified. And grace will bring eternal life also in the future. Okay, so how are we to live now until that day comes? What are we to obey now as we wait for the hope of God's glory? Well, since God's grace covers all our sins, some might ask if we can just keep on sinning. Or maybe we should obey God's law as a, as a revelation of his character, who he is. Or is there another way? Well, chapter 6 tackles that first question. Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Shall we continue to obey our sinful nature that was passed down from Adam? Now, many... Christian background people, people who have kind of grown up in the Christian faith without the gospel, sadly, they think this way. And they give Christianity a bad reputation. But Paul's answer could not be more strong. In verse 2, chapter 6, he says, By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Friends, Christ saved us from God's wrath against sin. How can we continue to do what God hates? Now, through faith, believers proclaim an allegiance to Christ and His leadership, what we looked at at the end of chapter 5. And we do that by uniting with Him in His death and resurrection. This allegiance is made visible through baptism. Baptism is a symbol of our, our own death and resurrection. It's not a physical death. 
We still have our bodies. We still live in this flesh. We experience pain and passions. We still face temptations. Baptism is a declaration that we've died to the sinful nature passed down from Adam. And we are rising to a new and spiritual life, united with Christ. As Paul says in the rest of chapter 6, it's through this faith in Christ that he becomes our new master, our new leader, our new representative head. We, we then offer our physical bodies, chapter 6 says, to obey and to serve him. So if you're united with Christ in his death and resurrection, we, we can't continue to sin. We can't, we can't continue to obey that sinful nature. Returning to sin, like the proverb says, is like a dog returning to its vomit. Like a pig returning to the mud. Friend, a saint does not return to sin. She repents from her sin. Knowing this, Christian, you should examine your life. Have you repented and turned away from sin? Or are you returning back to Sin. Chris and I are reading through the Bible together. We've recently gotten to Judges. Oh my, how quickly in the book of Judges, the people of Israel forgot God's deliverance and they turned back to idols in disobedience. We read about that in the, in, in the second scripture reading. Look, do you claim to love God, but refuse to leave your idols, those old sinful practices? Maybe it's because you don't truly believe. You may know the gospel message. You may be able to repeat it line by line, verse by verse. But if that describes you, You don't believe it. And I would say, check your heart. Paul tells us, the end of uh, of the book of Corinthians, to examine your heart, to see that you are saved. Truly believing the gospel turns you away from loving sin to hating your sin. Do you see temptations that come as as precious or poisonous? Are temptations precious to you that you want to hold on to or are they like poison that you want to throw away? Oh, friend, do not return to your sin. Repent. What might that look like? Well, as an employee, for instance, repentance means not complaining and getting frustrated about your boss. But redirecting all that energy to consider how you can show the same kindness to that person that Christ has shown you. 
Or consider the fact that we are social beings. Repentance means not pursuing partnership with those who promise worldly pleasure, whether emotional or sexual, but rightly enjoying the relationships with those who are on the same path of godliness with Christ that you are as a Christian. Believing the gospel frees you to live a new life for Christ. And it's there that we can put off the old self and put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Okay, so what does that look like then? Are we to obey God's law. That's what Romans 7 has to say. And Paul, can, that's, that's where he's taking us with our third point, our second option. Should we obey God's law? Now, it would seem that living according to God's ways would mean obeying God's law. In fact, the Jews were, they were so bound to God's law by their ethnicity, by their culture, that naturally a Jewish Christian might assume living to please God meant living it according to God's law. That's why Jewish Christians thought the Gentiles should be circumcised, for instance. And, and, and that's what the first council, the first church council, which is recorded in Acts 15, was about. It was about this very issue. And how easy it would have been for the Gentiles to just agree with following God's laws. I mean, we, living by the laws is something we can see, we can, we can measure. Rules give us a, a, a visual assurance of inclusion. We, we all want laws and rules to live by. That's one of the bigger sections of, of bookstores is rules to live by. Well, thankfully, the apostles guarded the church from this error of adding to the gospel. The proper response to the gospel is faith alone in Christ alone. We don't add to it. And yet, we're still in danger today of adding rules to the gospel. Repeat these words. Say this prayer. Do these steps. Give that gift. We, we, it's so easy. The trouble with trying to live according to the law or according to the rules is that, one, someone might say the right things, pray the right prayers, do, do the right deeds, and yet completely miss faith in Jesus. And secondly, ultimately, we can't do God's law completely. We can't do what it demands, as Paul pointed out back in chapter 2. We all fall short of God's glory, His perfect standard. Now, in, in Romans 7, 7 through 23, Paul connects this, this wrestling between our minds that, that, that want to obey God's laws and live by the rules with our flesh 
that's constantly seeking a way around them. That's what he's doing there in, in, in Romans chapter 7. Our sin saying our sin-stained flesh will even use God's good law to produce all kinds of evil in us. It's like when someone says, don't look over there, and you all look. We are just like that. And Paul points out in chapter 7 that when we die spiritually, united with Christ in his death and his resurrection... We also die to that obligation to God's law. Now, he, he does that by using this illustration. He says it's like a, a widow who is released from her marriage to her dead husband, and she is free to marry another. In a similar way, having died, we are released from our obligation to God's law, and we are free to belong to Christ. Saints, this is good news. Obeying the law never justified us, and neither can it lead us to living a more holy life in Christ. What the law does, the law reveals God's holiness, and it convicts and condemns us in our flesh. Well, let me ask you a couple questions. Do you rely on your actions to give you some assurance that you are accepted by God? Maybe some words you've memorized, a prayer you prayed. I prayed the prayer. Maybe some good deed you've done. Our righteousness before God is based solely, only on what Jesus has done for us. Faith is accepting Christ as our only assurance before the Father. So, do you look to obeying rules or laws to feel closer to God? Yeah? Well, like, for instance, reading your Bible every day or, or maybe how much time you spend in prayer. Maybe it's a, having more smiles than frowns, more ups than downs. Is that, is that how you measure your closeness to God? Do you measure your holiness or, or maybe even other people's holiness Based on rules and laws? Things like smoking or drinking or how many Christian books you've read this year. Saint, don't trust in what you do or what others do to make you more acceptable before God. And don't make rule following the test of whether or not someone is a Christian. That's not, that's not how we... That's not how that happens. Our good works are small attempts at catching up to what Christ has already accomplished for us in His death and resurrection. Our good works are small attempts to, to catch up 
to what Christ has already accomplished in making us perfect before the Father. No, holiness is not following rules. It's following Christ. Holiness is following Christ. It's believing the gospel as your only assurance before God. Believing the gospel. It means understanding that you are nothing before God. You offer nothing to Him except your sin. The very thing that put Jesus on the cross, that's what we offer to Him. Well, at the end of Romans 6 and 7, Paul exclaims, What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. You know, here at the end of chapter 7, Paul points out two realities. We'll look at this later, but one, it's that we are slaves. We, in our minds, are slaves to God's law. And in our sinful nature, we're slaves to the law of sin. That's, that's the first thing. We're slaves. Second thing he points out at the end of chapter 7 is that only Christ rescues us. So therefore, saying, as Paul says in Galatians 5.1, don't turn back to the law to do what Christ has already done for you. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm then and do not let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery, neither to your flesh nor to rules. All right, so the solution then to living in this already and not yet is Romans chapter 8. As we wait for the hope of God's glory, we obey His Spirit. Our fourth point, living for God in your present salvation while waiting for your future salvation is living in accordance with the Spirit And having your minds set on what the Spirit desires. That's how we do it, saints. How do you then set your mind on what the Spirit desires? You don't. It's what the Holy Spirit does in you. Jesus said in John chapter 14, 23 and 24, He says, if anyone loves me, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them. And we will come to them. And we will make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. So when the Lord makes His home in you by His Holy Spirit, then you can obey Him. Romans 8 9 agrees with this. It says that if you are truly united with Christ by faith, then the Spirit of God and the Spirit of Christ lives in you. 
The Spirit living in you changes you from a slave to a son, to a daughter. Through the Spirit, those who receive and believe the gospel, they are born again. We read about that in John 3. And, 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 and one of the benefits of that is that we are freed from our slavery to sin and to God's law. And we are made sons of God. Romans 8, 15 to 16 says this. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. By Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. If you were born again, the Spirit of God assures you of your salvation. Your, your knowledge... Your ability to repeat something cannot assure you of salvation. Your performance of God's law can't assure you that you are right with God. But the spirit of adoption, becoming God's child, that's what leads us to obey now as we wait for the hope of God's glory. 1 John 3, 1-3 makes this, helps us in making this connection between being a child of God and living according to our sonship. Listen to the already and not yet language of this passage as I read. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are now. Dear friends, Now we are the children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like Him. For we shall see Him as He is. And all who have this hope in Him purify themselves. Now, just as He is pure. Paul will get to practical obedience. (laughs) Like, what am I supposed to do then? Uh, When we get to Romans 12 to 15. Maybe sometime early next year. But (laughs) that'll be the what must we do as we wait. But Paul had to first establish this very important thing. The source of our obedience. And that's that's what he's doing here in chapters 6 through 8. We had to die united to Christ, to our old self. And we needed to be born again by God's Spirit into a new life with a completely new mindset that's turned toward living for, serving, and pleasing God. And brother and sister in Christ, if you are in Christ You are now a child of God. God's Spirit dwells in you. And that's all the motivation you need to obey Him now.
I, I do want to encourage you in these three things. One, remember the Bible's truth about who you are. You are already His, justified in God's sight. Secondly, practice the Bible's commands for you. It's, it's how together we are being sanctified as we put into practice the Bible's commands. So there's the Bible's truths, believe them. Remember them. The Bible's commands, put them into practice. And then thirdly, put your hope in the Bible's promises that are not yet fulfilled. It's it's that day when we, together, will be glorified as he brings us into his eternal rest. Paul concludes this section of chapters 6 through 8, speaking again about this already and not yet, that our, our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. And that we'll share in that inheritance of God's glory as, that's future, as we share in Christ's sufferings now. Paul gives us a little reassurance here that our sovereign God knows all that's happening, all that you're facing, saying. And he's working all those things, all your sufferings, all your blessings of of your life together. He's working them together so that you might be sanctified, conformed to the image of his son. Believer, that's God's plan for you. And why, why does he do this? Chapter 8 tells us because he loves us. And Paul's convinced, and you should be too, saying that no matter what you go through in your present, God is for you because he loves you. God is for you because he loves you. And he will bring your salvation to completion. On that day. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you that you have freed us. We are no longer slaves bound to our sinful nature. We are no longer slaves obligated to a law that we could never fulfill. No, Lord. You have saved us. You have adopted us. You have brought us into your very family through the death and the resurrection of Jesus, through being born new by your Holy Spirit. Oh, Lord, help us to look to the right source for obedience in this in-between time between the already and the not yet. We pray in Christ's name and for his glory. Amen.